0: W-M-Q-A. Hello and welcome to wmq I'm Dan Groot and I'm Matt Laswitz and this week our guest is the writer behind books such as Commanders in Crisis from Image, The Pull from TKO and uh, a whole bunch of stuff from DC, uh, Steve Orlando. Welcome to the show, Steve.
1: Thank you, man. Thank you. Uh, thank you both of you. Happy to be here.
0: Uh, so we like to start off by asking our guests uh, what comics they remember reading when they first got into the medium.
1: I mean, I've been in for a long time, uh, since I was two, but I couldn't read them. But I do know what my first comic was back then, and it was West Coast Avengers. Uh, It Mm. was West Coast Avengers number 16, actually, Tale of Two Kitties. Uh, It was about Hellcat and Tigra fighting over the Hellcat uniform, very deep, introspective plot.
0: for a two-year-old, especially.
1: And, well, again, I just like the, I think it was mostly just the costumes. And I still love Hellcat, by the way, so there you go. But um, uh, my first book I bought off a spinner rack, like that was just like, oh, this is out this week, was, uh, I don't know exactly the issue, but it was a Web of Spider-Man issue. It was the one where uh, Ben Riley first puts on the like, Scarlet Spider, uh, like okay. Torn's sleeves hoodie. And then he beats Venom with impact webbing, which at the time was like a new thing. From... Um, and I then didn't really go back until we got a comic comic store, like a direct market comic store in my town, mm-hmm. which was in around 97 when Grant and Howard were on JLA. So that was the first, that, that was the one that's, you know, I was in and I stayed mostly because I didn't have a way to before that, you know, mm-hmm. like I was prey to Walden books uh, in 1992. Mm-hmm. And uh, then by 97, we had a real comic store. So I was in after that.
0: Fascinating that a comic store opened up right around the time Marvel declared bankruptcy,
1: <laughs> and then it was a DC book that got me in. Imagine,
0: yeah. <laughs> um, so there's there's any number of places that we could start, but uh, let's let's start out talking about Commanders in Crisis, uh, which is your uh, new book and Image with artist W. Tinto. Uh, by the time this comes out, I believe the second issue will will have come out uh, for the listeners. Uh,
1: oh, by the time it comes out, yeah, we're out this Wednesday. So yeah. yes.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for the listeners, it's about uh, five superheroes from uh, different Earths uh, uh, that were destroyed. And and now they're trying to figure out uh, who killed the the concept of empathy. Uh, it's it's very high concept and and most importantly, very very comics. Uh, you know, it, it feels of a piece with a lot of what you you know you've done uh, before in your career, uh, as well as, as stuff that you know you know. I, I get Grant Morrison vibes from it. I get Gerard Way vibes from it. Uh, you know, it, it's great and it's a lot to unpack. But let's start simple. You know, what is the origin story for this project?
1: Uh, well, first of all, I'm glad to hear the vibes you're getting. I mean, I've, I've worked with Gerard, uh, so we definitely are on the same wavelength. And, you know, Grant, as you just heard, wrote the first comic I bought that I really stuck around for after. So you, ping, you, you pinged it very well. Uh, what is what is the long and short of it? I, I mean, there. what's the secret origin? I mean, I'll... I'll be honest, like a lot of Commanders in Crisis, the origin for the team and the twist uh, at the end of issue one is just because I'm, I'm fascinated by these shared experiences, right? Like I don't understand, I never have, um, I respect but don't understand the fact that like being former uh, heads of state seems to bring people together you wouldn't expect. Like I would never expect that W and Michelle Obama were candy buddies at presidential events, yeah. <laughs> And yet here we are. And I realized that, like, sort of, no matter where you fall on the, on the, with your views, once you get out of office, like, there's maybe eight people in the world that really understand, like, what you just went through for four or eight years. And it brings you together in a unique way. And that is sort of where the specific core of this team came from, because I loved that moment. Like, here you have people who haven't just been through that, but they have this even bigger traumatic event. Each of them is the last survivor of. Uh, their reality in the multiverse and i wanted to jump at the chance to put them together in this way because the biggest challenge uh with any book at the big two when it's not the premier team is like why are these people together uh you know uh you can answer it for the doom patrol but it was something that faced us in justice league of america it's something it faces the titans concept for example forever you know they're not teen titans anymore um, but why are they still a team? Other than, of course, fans love them, but that can't be the point during the story. Um, I mean, unless it's like Animal Man and then he can just, they can talk to him. But for the most part, that can't be the answer. So I wanted to use this inciting event to bring a team together. And then when it came to staffing the team, it was all about, I mean, everything that happens in this book there. I mean, I've, I've had a scratch pad and idea board right off panel, uh, right off screen. Mm-hmm. for my four years at dc and like there were things that i wasn't sure i could go over get over the plate there there were things i was told i couldn't do there uh there were things i wanted to keep for myself because i just wanted to have free reign with them and now and once i decided to go independent this year i was like we're gonna do it you know and at the uh, same time like i had well my boyfriend is a, a science fiction guy but not necessarily a comics guy and one of the things he's getting to be a comics guy but one of the things that I realized because I've been in it since uh, essentially I was two years old is you never realize how intimidating the lore can be. And so I wanted to give people uh, I wanted to give people a ground floor to get in on and explore because that's how I felt. You know, that's how I felt uh, when I, I was collecting like DC superpowers trading cards, which is the real impetus of me liking DC. And then when I would, when I picked up JLA it was issue two out of. Who the hell remembers of Rock of Ages, you know? And it was like, who are these characters? I want to know more, and then I hunted, I sought it out. This was—I mean, there wasn't Wikipedia like there is now. I, I, I tracked it down, and I, I became engrossed. And so, I, you know, it's, it's, it's—I want to give folks something that they can get in on uh, at the ground floor and and watch rather than backtracking. Watch the world grow around them, and that's another big part of the book—not plot-wise, but. Thematically, and what I think comics needs, what I can put out into the world—that's that's a big thing for me.
0: Yeah, there is that—you know—in the age of Wikipedia, that that sort of thrill of the hunt, where you know you have to track down those old uh, back issues, is gone. You know, I remember—you know—I started reading X Men in like '93. And and you know I would talk to Mac because we've been friends for years and years, and he'd be like, "Oh, you you got to go back and read Executioner's song. You know, you got to go back and read this this story where with uh, Apocalypse where you know he infects Cable with the, the baby with the To virus or whatever." And then you know you're looking through bins and you're like, "Oh, can I can I afford this? Can I not afford this?" But uh, I have
1: so many I have so many comics in my in my well honestly my parents have so many comics in their house where I haven't lived in twelve years probably more than that. How old am I? Uh, like that are probably worth a fraction of a cent. Like I'm sure I have like bri- Brigade number three, no shade on Brigades, uh, but it's it's not, I'm not putting the kids through college on that book. Um, Cause yeah, I would just buy everything and I would always want to know more and want to see how they were connected. And I still love fucking Seahawk because of Brigade. So, <laughs> you know, cold snap, I could go on. Don't make me go on, but I will. <laughs> You're in the right place for that. Yeah. <laughs>
0: But, uh, you know, get, getting getting back to it, though, uh, how did you connect with uh, David?
1: Well, I had actually, so Davide and I came together through Studio Arancia, who I've had a longer relationship with. I had done, you know, I did the localizations for Unnatural, Mirka and Dofo's book, because Mirka mm-hmm. and I have been friends from Comic-Cons for a long time. Um, I did the localization for Unnatural, and then I did the localization for Mercy, which for folks... If you're listening, that's, you know, a lot of times you'll have a translation start in the home language, go into the second language, but then you have someone from the 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 receiving language, I guess, whatever you want to call it, polish, polish up the translation. Like you want both sides so that it's coming from wherever it's coming from accurately and then landing as accurately as possible. So that's what I worked on on a natural and mercy. And after doing, you know, almost 20 issues together, I sort of said, well, let's build something from scratch. Uh, and I was just coming off contract and, and that's really how uh, Commandos and Crisis came together. I, re- I reached out to those folks and they said, well, we'd like this idea. We you know exactly who would crush it. And, and they introduced me to Davide. And they're still, I mean, they're my creative partners on the book as well. They're, they're, they have sort of, uh, you know, yented me in with the letterer and the colorist and they continue to, to connect us with great, great cover artists, innovative cover artists like my friend, Jason Kaffenstein uh, from the New Yorker, who's doing a cover for issue three. Uh, and they're just on board to do uh, the bold different things that we wanna do. So, so they've been great and, and they've been sort of my inroad to folks like Davide and Francesca, uh, who's coloring the book.
0: Your, your characters in this book have fascinating powers. Uh, You know, there's one who makes up new words uh, and, 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 and uses them to, uh, you know, accomplish different tasks. Uh, You know, one has super strength, but it's based on external perception uh, and validation. You know, when, as you were developing this book, you know, were you kind of going out of your way to come up with abilities that, or, or sort of combinations uh, or innovate abilities that we haven't, you know, seen before, you know, is there a point where you're like
1: uh, super, no, no, no
0: super strength. You know what I mean? Something like that.
1: (laughs) Uh, Well, I mean, first of all, yeah, because why would I, why would you, you folks deserve better than something you've seen before. So like, I mean, the quick answer is yes, Mm. because you're putting up 2 or $3 uh, every month for this book. So uh, it should always be new and different. And if it is still, if it is just super strength then the personality has to be different, like something has to be new, Uh, otherwise like, why are you here, you know? And, and that's something that I, I, I really respect. People, people, not everybody has a lot of money. So, uh, I mean, that's important to me to do something different. And then I, the one thing I do like is when characters, uh, you know, you get drama out of people who seem powerful, but they have that they have that balance to their power. Like, even if it's not readily apparent, like all of the characters are based on the blueprint of Black Bolt. Uh, or a character, well, I mean, they each have their own comics DNA, but the basic idea, like, he's incredibly powerful, but there's a price to pay, and and the most obvious one is Originator, yeah, because she has a vocal power, but they're all sort of like that, you know, as, as Dr. Manhattan, but for a minute a time, because, you know, the super sentences are so overwhelming, uh, it's, it's well, I mean, Adam Strange and Weeds Forge is Frontier, because I've always found those powers fascinating. I've always loved the 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 Adam Strange type, but what I thought is fascinating about Ford is he doesn't necessarily know how he's doing. It's intuitive, so you can make those these things, but you can't always necessarily pay it forward or or or, or patent it or profit off it the same way because you don't know how you did it. Uh, and I've always found that really interesting. And they're all they all sort of come from that place, you know, uh, ideas that I've always thought have a little more meat to them that people have explored in the past. Uh, and how can we twist it and make it even more interesting? I mean, Prizefighter is a reverse version of Gladiator from the uh, Imperial Guard. Um, and you know, like I'm, ha- I'm, I'm, I'm a queer man in 2020. If you think that I don't consider external validation all the time, you're a fool. So like, there's also a lot of me uh, in all these characters. And, it, and it's also a nice chance, since this is an original, my first real uh, creator-owned book since 2015, uh, to pay homage to folks that got me where I am. I mean, her Originator is based on Black Bolt, but she's also uh, based on my f- first writing professor in college, who was equally aloof and powerful. Uh, you know, so it's, it, there's, there's a lot of influences, but the key at the end of the day is what I, I said first. You know, there are hundreds of books out every month. Why the hell would we not give you guys something you can't get anywhere else? Why would it not be thought provoking and new? Because that's what people deserve.
0: In the first issue it's established all the, these characters and you've touched on this a little already you know were the, were the first uh, were, were a president uh, an American president on their home earth and, and each one of them was you know there's the first gay president the first black woman president etc um, these these characters are all very young hot presidents I, I, I think that's fair to say uh especially on that one kevin wada cover i just saw uh the other day uh for an upcoming issue um you
1: know wada could draw ed esner at this current age and he would be hot but like (laughs) i hear you
0: yeah no 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 uh (laughs) so but but that 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 does beg the, the the goofy question uh on on our earth who has been our sexiest president like I feel like I go right to Obama but that also feels like recency bias and I might be maybe I'm leaving somebody out.
1: Well I mean I, have you seen that video of Obama sinking that three like it's nothing from like oh. 2 weeks ago like it's I mean um I don't know I don't know I mean a thirst trap like Taft you really you really going to omit him? <laughs> um, I don't know uh I actually feel like you know there's probably some from the pre-photo era that would surprise you, like Zachary Tyler. Mm-hmm. You know, cheekbones for days. I can't <laughs> think of a thing he did. I'll be honest. Uh, I know he exists. Um, I guess outside of the obvious with Obama, and I'm sure a lot of folks would probably say uh like Kennedy,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and that one woman would say Trump and she's adorable. Um <laughs> You know, but like, I, I guess I would, the, the one that springs to mind is is Tyler. I've always thought that he had a good style. Uh, I have a soft spot for Martin Van Buren, but I don't find, I don't think that he's like a secretly a super wet president. Uh, <laughs> uh, I just used to live in a partition part of his family mansion in Albany. Oh. Hmm. Uh, because they diced up the Van Buren mansion to like, trust me, very modest uh, efficiency apartments. So for a while I lived in his library, but we fit a whole, uh, you know, a whole efficiency in there. So I'll always, I'll always stand for Martin Van Buren, but not my style uh, when it comes to the bedroom.
0: <laughs> That's fair.
1: The twist at the end of issue one with the death of
2: a human embodiment of empathy caught me and it kind of gave me a minute of pause and made me think when we talk about those foundational aspects of what makes us human, love usually comes up. There's always that, you know, the hope in hell, you know, hope, but empathy, when you think about it, makes a lot of sense. And it also feels like something that is missing in so much of our public discourse. What is it about, and without this possibly being a spoiler for anything coming up, Um, what is it about empathy that makes it such an integral aspect of society and
1: humanity to you? Well, I think it's not a spoiler, but I think one of the goals of the, of the book is to analyze everything you're talking about and really decide, excuse me, what having it means and what not having it means, you know, what, would people be that different? Would they be doing similar things, but with different motivations? You know, would it, knowing that it's gone, would you question the reasons people do things in situations you otherwise wouldn't? Um, but to answer your question, um, otherwise, like, uh, it's, I mean, I do think it's incredibly important. If, if you can't, if you don't know how to care, it all comes back to this article I read probably like four years ago, after something to Terrible happened, and the title of the, of the article was "I don't know how to explain to you that you should care about other people," mm-hmm. and uh, and like that sort of summed it up for me. You know, if if we if we, to be fair, like talk to me in a couple months when when we see how things are going, but like we need that. Like if we don't know how to care about other people, we're just seven billion sociopaths, uh, and that's alarming. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I wanted to withdraw that from society so we could look at it, see what happens, then see if we can get it back, if we need it back, or if there's something better we can come up with, you know. Uh, and that's that's the goal of the book. It's not necessarily going to be like a cut and dry, like we, it's not going to be like, you know, when Jenny Sparks is reborn and there's a new empathy baby somewhere else, like we're not taking the, we're taking a different way out. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say easy way, I'm not going to shade that book, but it's not going to be like that. Mm-hmm. So,
0: Seven billion sociopaths makes every town sound like it would be the town from Nailbiter.
1: <laughs> it's the sequel to Seven Psychopaths. It just scales up.
0: They really ratchet up the stakes. Uh, <laughs> so uh, there's, there's a uh, presumptively uh, evil senator uh, in the book who wants to pass legislation to turn the US into 52, uh, effectively 52 nation states that agree to protect each other. But uh, you know, ultimately, to to get around the uh, the nation's divisiveness uh, by giving up on on collectivism, uh, you know, it's it's one of those sort of near future big ideas that feels just plausible enough to work. And given the year we're having, uh, you know, certainly far fetched near future dystopic ideas don't seem all that crazy anymore. Um, how how would you react if someone actually proposed this in the next legislative term?
1: I think we might, you know, or some version of it. It would be, I, I, how would I react? I would expect them to, uh, you know, pay me my royalties. <laughs> um, no, I mean, but that that's the thing. Like, it's also, tr- you know, the, all those ideas are such horseshit, but that's kind of the point to me, you know, like because uh, people say later in the book, like, It's just like family, you know, like, you know, you can, I can, I can shit on my sister, but if anyone else does, like, I'll beat the shit out of them. And that's what we're basically saying. Like, we can be as terrible as we want to each other because we're family. See, like, it's in writing, but we don't, I mean, that's obviously a lie. We don't really care. And you shouldn't be a piece of shit to your sister, you know, so like, it's, uh, you know, I wrote this issue, the first issue in like January of this year, and it's going to be more plausible all the time. So <laughs> I'm hoping we do a Hail Mary and, and don't get there. But yeah, that's the point. Like we, we got to, we can't advocate our responsibility to each other. Um, otherwise, like, again, what are we doing here? Like we're just, we're just a nation. Well, we're not a nation of individuals. Well, I should say it can't really work that way. Maybe we are. Maybe that's the point right now. Um, certainly I have my days when it feels that way, but it can't go forward. We have to care about each other. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I saw that there was a thing going around Twitter this morning. It was like, oh, if we forgive college loan debt, everybody that didn't get it forgiven will be furious. And I just can't even wrap my head around that. Like the idea that like, if your life was shitty, it's more important to you that other people have the same shitty life than maybe don't. Like we should be trying to make it better for each other, not as bad as we happen to have it, mm-hmm. you know? Like it's wild. I mean, that concept is just wild to me. Like if you apply it to anything else, I just can't conceive like, oh, I had a bad run and we could make it better, but now everybody should suffer like I did. Insane. So, um unless you think that you're the only real person that matters in the world. So we can't do that. Um, I'm gonna solve it the way that I think is appropriate in the book with science fiction, but unfortunately we live in the real fucking world. So let's see what happens here.
0: Yeah, it, 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 Talk about the college loan debt thing. I remember like the, the first year of working in, in journalism, I covered this small town and the school district wanted to replace, uh, build a new middle school because the one that they had was basically falling apart. And there was huge resistance, like there was a referendum vote and the people, the the townspeople voted no because they were, they all had gone to this school in their youth 50 some years ago and were like, it was fine then, you know, that meanwhile, the state, those same, you know, lead pipes and asbestos walls are all, are all uh, crumbling. So, uh
1: yeah, yeah I mean, there's, no, there's no, there's no non-animal logic to that. So I don't really, I mean, as yeah. I said, I, I can't wrap my head around that. I mean, I usually, when I mean, again, like I'm, I'm a freelancer on a 1099 contract that has lived in New York and Massachusetts. I'm giving up more of my money on average than anyone in the country for people I'll never meet, and I don't give a fuck because that's sort of what being part of a country is about. So like, mm-hmm. I just can't. Those any of those arguments, it really just. You know you do you, uh but I don't get it, I guess like I don't know, and I'm already losing more than most people, so I usually win those arguments
0: <laughs> um so uh you got uh uh Dan didio to uh write the the intro to uh this to commanders to the first issue um why dan
1: i mean uh because a lot of people noticed, and uh, I'm in the business of getting people to notice my work. Um, but also, you know, Dan, look, obviously, is a creator of opinions in the comic industry. Uh, he's like an, an opinion dynamo. Uh, but at the same time, like everything you've liked from me at DC, in my case, like mm-hmm. Dan is champion. So when he got out and I got out, it was kind of like just serendipitous that the time came, and it wasn't like a big thing. I just, texted him and asked him if he would do it. And he said, yeah, and he did. So like, you know, we have been on the same wavelength, uh, you know, it's, it's lucky, uh, but all the stuff that folks liked, when I look back at my four years, are things that he fought for, like Martian Manhunter or the Batman Shadow Book or giving me six more issues of Midnighter, or Midnight at Apollo. So when it came time to do my own thing, I felt right to see if he'd be part of it somehow. And luckily, uh, he, he was up for it.
0: Who, to your mind, has done superheroes best outside of the big two?
1: Um, best outside of the big two, ever? Yeah. Um, ever is hard. Pat Mills, the martial law, uh, Figredo and Milligan, Enigma. I guess mm-hmm. that's still big too, but it's Vertigo. Um, uh, I could cheat if I was in my other, in my living room, <laughs> not my office, and I could see my permanent collection, but I can't. <laughs> um, so you win. I mean, I'll grandfather in Ellis and Hitch because that was not DC at the time. Uh, mm. On Bert, uh, Well, then I'll say Stormwatch, so Ellis and Rainey. I mean, uh, but also, uh, it, you know, music and bag oh that's marvel fuck sorry um
0: i thought you were about to say astro city so <laughs> yeah.
1: well but that's now that's dc too as well like oh, yeah, yeah music Good point. And Anderson. so it's people keep eating things um <laughs> but uh, there's other things i mean like my i mean my influential book superhero book is flex metella which yeah technically i guess again it's a, it's a dc book and now it really is because they eat everything but it is it was a virtual book at the time and a standalone uh, but also like, I mean, every, I mean, even every B tier Kirby book that was done by like Tops or like Silver Star, mm-hmm. still a huge influence on me. It is right behind me in my area over here. Um, and you can't not say, uh, you know, almost regardless of how you feel about it. And I'm in awe of the fact that he got to do it, but you can't not bring up Invincible. It's like, the, I, I would kill to have that, that time in the Commandments of Crisis universe. And maybe I will. Um, you know, it's, it's Superman meets Dragon Ball Z, uh, and it's hard to argue with that and and how long, and and he got to tell those stories and everything. But again, like we can go back, like stuff like martial law is shocking in its prescience. I mean, the boys should be paying (laughs) that dude royalties, um, and and you know that you I can't also argue with the sort of new modern folklore aspects of the image launch books. Like obviously they've been around for 28 years. Uh, I mean Image United's been in the in in the works for eight of those years. And uh, you know maybe not all the books. I mean obviously with anything any book. I mean it's not it's not. I'm not throwing bombs to say that the books vary in quality because guess what? Like Spider-Man fucking varies in quality. Like, like I'm, not, I'm not throwing shade there, but I do think the characters, I mean, for at least for, for my generation, like, you know, guys like me, I, I, uh, my co-writer Steve Fox on a bunch of stuff, Frank Barberi, one of my closest friends at comics, you know, we like Wildcats animated show, Ultra Force animated show, actually Ultra Force needs to be called out. That was a great universe. Um uh Savage Dragon show, uh Spawned HBO show, which I shouldn't have been watching, but I was and ah. I know <laughs> um, The Max. Yeah. Uh I love the Max, but didn't watch as a kid. So yeah. I have to asterisk that. Uh I mean those things are huge. Those are those I you know to this day, if someone was like, Steve, do you want to write like I don't know, a prime miniseries? I'd be like, fuck yeah, you know, like so I, I think for especially back in that day when you could become a casual comic reader because they were existing in the newsstand still, or at least in bookstores versus just direct market stores. All those things are huge. Like I'm shocked how many people know who Spawn is. Maybe I shouldn't be, um, you know, but I used to get beat up in middle school for that shit. Uh, and now, and now like, yeah, I mean, it, it is, they have all those characters for the most part have become ubiquitous. Uh, at least the ones that weren't accidentally sold to uh some sort of like venomous company, like Terrific Productions LLC. <laughs> so, um, you know, and even the ones that ha- that aren't I think were great core concepts, like I stuff like Shadowhawk, uh, I think was ahead of its time in many ways, at least uh, attempting to engage a lot of interesting concepts. So uh, there's a lot, you know, it, it doesn't have to be all just the big two. I mean, although I should give special attention to the Ultraverse because that stuff, I know it's in legal limbo, but so much of that work was very, very, very good to this day. James Robinson and Collie uh, Hamner on firearm. Again, uh, prime, uh, a great concept. Maybe Weird Shazam done even better than Shazam was being done at the time. Asterisk to the fact that Gerard Jones was writing it and he had perv <laughs> coaches in it while himself being a piece of shit, projecting much but uh he's he you know he he left those books and the concept is still incredibly strong and then he got Perez on ultra force he got BWS on rune uh, that was that stuff was killer and the day that they decide they're going to collect it i will i will be there to buy it
2: i just tracked down a full run of that the robinson hammer firearm not too long
1: ago hey you know what check this out here is my Homemade hardcover of that book. nice Ooh. nice uh, oh, clearly I'm with you ads and all but uh, <laughs> I sent that to cully. he was like, never call me again but, <laughs> <laughs> For the record here also is the Mike Parabeck Len Strazowski Justice Society. oh such a oh
2: great gosh. book so that that is one under Arabek, man, breaks my heart. The the stuff he did there on Batman Adventures on the Fly with Le- also with Struzyski.
1: I tell you what, if Mike had not passed away, we'd be talking about him like we're talking about Darwin now. So, uh, I mean, which is, yeah. I, don't, I don't mean in the place of. I mean in addition to. Uh, yeah. I think he would have ended up being a, a titan because you're right. That stuff is incredible. So.
0: I I feel like I. In addition to, you know, these being great books, I'm fascinated by The Binding because they look like Ron Burgundy's many leather-bound books that he brags about. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's more
1: like Steve Orlando's I'm Still a Virgin, so let me get these books, uh, you know. Uh, I've got a couple too, actually. What else do I have there? Uh, the only other one I have is Flex Mental uh, Mentello because at the time it was in legal limbo and and you know, like everybody, I read Wizard Magazine and they were like, this will never be collected. And so I made one myself, uh, but don't worry. I have every version of it, soft cover, hard cover that's been collected since. So don't fret.
0: <laughs> oh man! So uh, when you were about to leave your, your exclusive contract uh, uh, with DC in February, uh, Hollywood Reporter published an interview with you and it starts with the line, Steve Orlando is about to have a very interesting year. Mm-hmm. Um, Scale of one to 10, how much of an understatement did that prove to be?
1: Oh, no, I planned it all, man. Nothing. (laughs) No surprises. You know, when I, when I ate that bat is really when it got fucked up, but you know, (laughs) we're doing fine. No, it's been wild. Uh, But also I've been very, very fortunate because I had already sort of laid the groundwork to be doing all these original books and and make and and and, and projects that you some folks do know that have been announced and some that haven't even been announced yet that have really made this year not just creatively fulfilling, which is a luxury and a privilege, but also like I'm you know made my life this year because I had already I, I didn't have to like oh like worry that one company was on pause I'd already diversified my slate this year uh, because I had to because that's what it is, is to be a freelancer uh, and so I've I've been very lucky um you know knocking wood we'll see what next year is like I'm, I'm putting that together right now uh but uh i was extremely fortunate in that almost no matter what this year has thrown so far as a freelancer uh we're kind of insulated against it like oh you got to work from home cool the only thing that changes is now instead of leaving the house once a day to go to the gym i don't leave it at all uh, oh, like we have to get our groceries delivered. Sweet. I'm already doing that. I'm lazy as fuck, but now it seems like I'm shrewd. Uh, so I, I've been, I've been very, very lucky and really, and really can't complain. Uh, there, you know, there's been no work from home adjustment. It's because I adjusted in 2015. So, so I expect it to be a strange and exciting year, but who could predict 2020, you know, and it's not even over yet. I'm waiting for VJ myself, but
0: yeah, I, I was going to say nobody's come out of the woodwork with like missing Nostradamus texts that uh, nailed all this down. But uh, talking about, about uh, diversifying, because you know you do have you've got books coming out uh, at Image, Aftershock, TKO, uh, etc. You know when you decided that you wanted to focus on on you know your your creator-owned work and your in your, in your indie work. You know,
1: well, and do it like I should say, like, yeah. I'm not like, oh, fuck off, big two. Like, not at all. But I <laughs> want to do the projects that are that that fit. And also I want to have time because when you're on exclusive for better, or worse, you often just can't, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm not like shunning. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I, I would be excited uh, for the right projects to come up. And then it's happened, you know, like I'm doing this dark multiverse crisis and in infinite earths book that's out next month. And it's a dream, you know? I'd never worked with Mike Perkins before, he over-delivered, and it's a double, it's a 48-page book that is, um, I mean, basically every Earth 2 character that I've ever wanted to write, some that no one else has ever wanted me to write, uh, appear in that book, you know? And and I couldn't be more excited about it. And yeah, when the opportunity came up, absolutely. But I am making conscious efforts to do originals and make time for originals and and stuff outside of comics, because that's how this, you know, becomes a thing in, in five or, or 10 years. You know, all of my mentors, the one thing they've always said, and they're all now in animation, so the joke's on me, I guess, for being in comics, but uh, the, the one thing they always said is that they wish they started doing originals more. So I proceeded to not listen to them for 10 years and then start when they started, but I'm here now.
0: Um, yeah.
1: Don't forget, don't forget these guys, by the way, on the topic of new books.
0: Uh, that's right.
1: I just um, like the sweatshirt, but it was really fortuitous. <laughs>
0: uh, for the listener, Steve is wearing a heavy metal t-shirt. Um, so yeah, when you, when you, you know, we're, we're starting to want to, you know, decide you want to move that way. Did you have publishers sort of beating down your door? Were you pitching all over town? You know, um,
1: <laughs> few people beat down doors in comics, unless you're like one of the, one of the, one of the, pan- one of the pantheon of comics, Jesus uh, <laughs> but You know, I did have a lot of relationships because I did start trying to break into comics when I was twelve, and I I knew a lot of people. So again, I'm lucky in that case. But no, I mean it's a hustle. I try to be very transparent with people on social media. You know, like there was a question like a couple months ago. It was one of those like today everybody's answering this question. When do you think you broke in? Well, you've never really broken Mm -hmm. in. You're always breaking in. It's like coming out Uh, because the minute you get comfortable, like you can just, you don't even see it. You don't even see the wall coming. So you got to keep hustling. You got to keep challenging yourself and you got to keep thinking about the next thing when you're freelance and that, that is what the life is, you know? Uh, and, and again, like I made out very well this year. I'm very fortuitous, but it isn't because I just like sat on a fucking pee and a, you know, and a contract grew up the next day. Like it's because I worked my ass off. Uh, and, and that's what you got to do. Um, mm-hmm. Um, you know for the most part uh and that goes for publishers but also goes for you guys like i never expect expect that just because i wrote uh something folks will show up uh got to do the work got to appreciate everyone uh and show them why this is new different and exciting so it it goes on all holistically you always have to be hustling uh and i'm trying at least i'm very tired uh but i just discovered caffeinated seltzer so Let's roll.
0: <laughs> uh, truly, we are living in the future. Um, what, what do you look for, you know, in, in a publisher as you're, you know, looking to develop these projects? You know, what makes a, a story a right, you know, a good fit somewhere versus, you know, another company?
1: Uh, well, I mean, that's part of the pitching process. You, you, it is actually on us to look and see the types of things that a publisher does and make sure you're offering them something in their strike zone. Uh, I mean, again, everybody's a real people person, excuse me, in, in the comics industry, publishers don't want to feel like you've just cattle called them with the concept Mm. because they want to feel exactly what you're talking about. That you took the time and decided to show them something that was right for them. Uh, I can't think of a great example, uh, well, okay, broadly, like look at a publisher like Vault, who mostly does fantasy and horror. Not only, mostly does fantasy mm-hmm. and horror. Um, you know, it's not where I would go. Uh, this is not a real book I'm doing, but it's not where I would go with some like fucking Care Bears reboot or like off-brand thing like that, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's not, just a, that's not because it's bad to do an off-brand Care Bears reboot in 2020. But when you show that to a company, like again, this discussion hypothetically of Vault, uh, who does horrid fantasy, you're sh- You're saying that you don't really think that they're special or care about them specifically, you just want a job. And mm-hmm. like that becomes obvious. I think a lot of folks don't realize that, you know, again, like this is a job and you wouldn't go into a job interview knowing nothing about the people you were talking to and, and comics is the same. So I look at folks uh, and 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 I look at publishers and see the types of things that they're either they're generally interested in or if I know them a little better, like I know the folks at Aftershock pretty well, because uh, I've done many books there, some of which you folks know about. Mm-hmm. Um, then I can reach out and say, OK, well, we've done X, Y and Z. What might you want to see from me next? Uh, in general, like what are, if, is there? Are there some voids in your publishing line you want to fill? But even that you're showing that you care. You're not just throwing shit at the wall because everybody, whether again, it's fans or their publishers, like they, they want to feel like they've been seen. Uh, for what they are, not just taken for granted.
0: How, how much uh, do you feel like you need to be more of your own marketing machine? You know, when you're when you're working with with you know indie stuff, you know, maybe, you know, you're working on books where you don't have, say, DC's marketing you know, uh, and and PR department working behind you.
1: I mean, more, I mean, certainly, but also like that, that's always sort of the way fan the readers, uh, readers always want to hear from the creators, especially in the social media age, why they're excited about something. So it's not as though when I was at DC or when I'm at DC now for things that, that like, I'm just relying solely on the publicity folks because they publish hundreds of books a month. Uh, you want to evangelize uh, for yourself and for your work and show people why you're excited. I couldn't stop saying, when Marsha Manhunter was coming out, how long I wanted to do that book and how hard I'd fought for that book. And that's all true. Uh, you know, Riley and I had been working on it for three years before it came out to you guys. And, you know, that stuff matters. And you do it more, uh, but it's not as though these other publishers that are doing my originals, uh, regardless of where they are, don't have marketing teams. You're always collaborating with a team. Um, But I do think, especially in the age of social media and comics, most of it, uh, I shouldn't say most of it, but there's always an element of it coming down to you and you put in and saying things in your voice, Uh, especially after initial announcements. So it's different, but you always have to hustle and you always have to remind people and show people why they matter yourself. And for better or worse, I think that is comics now. It's a relatively small industry. No one expects Christopher Nolan to be doing a Reddit AMA. But uh, this is where we are, and i 'm happy for the fan connection, um, especially because like I can still put my computer down and and not look at it after ten p m as my boyfriend demands Good.
0: Uh, so one of the other books uh, that you have uh, that's out that 's out now uh, is uh, the Pull uh, with uh, Ricardo Lopez Ort- Ortiz over at uh, t k o um, got to read the uh, the first part of it, and you know you're telling this story about an earth that has uh, six days left before it's destroyed, and people are, are uh, spending their time the best way they know how, <laughs> put it that way. Uh, but it, it centers on this sort of uh, superpowered uh, uh, police officer who at the beginning is, is considered a hero, but after he takes on a death cult, just gets put through the ringer. Um, I don't know how long you had this story in the hopper, but, uh, you know, how, how did it feel to basically narratively, uh, at least in the first part of the story, uh, no spoilers, uh, basically narratively demolish a, a, a law enforcement officer in 2020?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, the book, I mean, it's been in my mind for a while. Uh, the idea of basically like, because I love both versions of Bad Lieutenant, uh, the <laughs> April Ferrer version and the Werner Herzog version. I'm partial to the Herzog version because... I'm a strange person. Uh, But I wanted to apply that to science fiction. So, like, the pitch for the book had always been bad Green Lantern. Uh, But um, when we decided and built the narrative uh, of the apocalypse around it, it took on a lot more meaning. You know, it kind of became sort of bad Green Lantern meets unforgiven through the lens of me. So, yes, people take a drug that kills them when they orgasm um but it's honestly like it's a little bit less to me about law the law enforcement officer specifically as much as it is like the macho hothead egotist in general and yeah those that venn diagram can overlap certainly um but you know a lot of times we don't get to see characters uh like past their initial reckoning with making a mistake. So the, the appeal to me was, yeah, we're going to show not just what happens after he fucks up, but unless you die, like you got to live with that fuck up for a long time. And how does that affect you a year after? How does that affect you? I mean, a couple months after and so on and so forth. So uh, that that's always been the core appeal to that book for me. Uh, you know, someone who ha- maybe did the right thing often but had one major wrong thing that they're living down their whole life and then you know as the book picks up ghosts from before uh come back and see them for exactly as they see themselves but now it's an asset you know mm-hmm. their 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 partners in crime in this book need someone who they think will do anything and has no morals and once you're once finally it's, people stop saying no you're not like that Uh, and start saying, no, you are like that. And I need you because of that. Well, then you really start to think, is this me? You know, and and that's where the book picks up. We've got six days to decide, is this me? Um, And you know, am I a good man? Can I be a good man? It is the plot of the second Peter Capaldi doctor season. And I like that season. So I want to do my version, which has more penises uh, and more ends of the world. And that's what you're getting in the book. Along with, as you said, just like incredible world building and art from Ricardo, uh, not to mention Trina Farrell uh, and Thomas Mauer, both of whom like, are a huge part of the design of that book. The balloons are unique, the color schemes are unique, and they all, they all crushed it on that. And Jared K. Fletcher doing the book design. <laughs> um, more ends of the world than Doctor Who is asking.
2: That's a big lift. Do <laughs> <laughs> what? More ends of the world than Doctor Who is a big lift. <laughs> well, at least a, a more Jack Kirby
0: one. At least. But, yeah. I can get with that. <laughs> um one thing i noticed th- very small thing but it was a thing i appreciated uh toward uh the end of the the first chapter of the book it it looks like uh he has an early model playstation in his apartment i don't know if you noticed that no <laughs>
1: Uh, there's a lot of little. There's a lot of little nods, yes, and I'm and that and that's one of them. I mean that that's one of the gifts of Ricardo is that we are both on the same wavelength on those things. So yeah, you'll see that. Um, you'll see a lot of little nods to the world before things that are important to us when we were kids, or just things that we think are fun. But yeah, I mean, like that's that that comes from the friendship that Ricardo and I have, and being similar type of adult weird dudes, uh, for, for lack of a better term. I mean. Joking is like the story of me and Ricardo getting along is that like, when the first season of Euphoria came out last year, uh, episode one, um, HBO put out this press release because they're, oh, there's so much male frontal nudity. And then HBO was like, don't worry guys, there's no more than 30 penises in this episode. And I immediately texted Ricardo. I was like, we need to put 31 fucking penises in this book. And, uh, and I, he claims there are, you know, like he immediately got it and was on board. So like that, that's how at least the background details of the poll where I mean, we're mostly just where we're, we're giving love to our to our to our fellow geeks of all stripes. Uh, and also just like, you know, challenging the ridiculous nature of, of, of what does and doesn't get people upset these days.
0: I, I, i'll have to go through and uh count them all what uh might get like it's hot it's hot small, hot. Though. keep looking you'll yeah exactly fine. no it's like the hidden mickeys at disneyland wonderful but uh matt why don't we jump ahead uh to your uh your crop of cues
2: sure because uh, I, i've got some some uh questions about your dc work because that that's you know right across the plate for me um i'm here for it i recently sort of binged your entire Midnighter run which is a run I kick myself now for not having read at the time Um, I'm curious how for you what makes Midnighter work in the DC universe where he was created as a Batman analog and now he's in a universe where Batman exists
1: well, uh, because I think for better or worse, we like him sort of for the same reason we like Wolverine. Like, cause he will say oftentimes like, he says the quiet part out loud and that includes <laughs> about, and that includes about Batman, you know, like it, it's, I think he, he works differently in the DC universe because there's no golden caps for Midnighter. He doesn't give a shit about Batman, like in, on principle, you know, like maybe he has an opinion about him once they meet. But he's gonna be the guy to say exactly what we're all thinking about Batman and Nightwing. Uh, you know, he's gonna be the guy to say what we're all thinking in any room, including a room with the Justice League, because he doesn't care. Uh, you know, he, he, if, if there are, are uh, norms to be broken, if there are chops to be busted, uh, he's going to do it. Uh, he's a button pusher. And in a, especially in the DC universe, which is built on iconography and mythology, maybe more so than the Marvel universe. We like to say Marvel's the world outside our window. DC is the world as we wish it would be. You know, if this is a world of gods and, and goddesses and all these things, it's nice to have someone there to take the piss out of it, which I maybe sounds ridiculous, but I think it's true. Like we... If we're going to have the Bat God, you got to have that guy that kind of says, like, who gives a shit about the Bat God? And, and that's refreshing. If everybody did it, it wouldn't be. Um, but everybody doesn't. And I think that's why people find him appealing. Yeah. It, it's interesting because that uh, Apollo, the
2: final six issue, of The Apollo and Midnighter, uh, you wrote in The Mauser. From uh, Ennis and McRae's Demon, which also spawned Hitman, which was another character that had that same. Oh, for sure. Thing. I mean,
1: there are others. Hitman Lobo. I mean, I, there was a little bit of that energy to Lobo in my Justice League. It's why we referenced the the guy Gardner sit down, and Lobo is just like, ah, I'll stand. You know, <laughs> like. Um, but I mean, I loved. I mean, my Midnighter was also. Excuse me, Hitman was also an homage to just that one or two panel appearance. When he showed up in Grant's Justice League, which I was like, like, what a unique time when you had like Daniel of the Endless and Hitman appearing. Um, and so, yeah, like, I, and I also just liked uh, the mythology of, of the Mauser. Like, let's have, you know, two gays going to hell and beat the shit out of a Nazi demon. Uh, team's very, it's like my version of Persephone. There's no fucking pomegranates, just violence. And uh, especially when I wrote that, that's what was on my mind. So, yeah.
2: And you also wrote the best Prometheus since Grant's <laughs> initial run. That is a character who always had such potential and was just constantly getting punked since Morrison
1: stopped writing him. I will take that because I'm a big fan of that character, uh, both in Midnighter and he appeared in my Justice League as well. And I... Yes. I love that idea. I mean, look, I, I'm, I'm not, especially in Justice like, League. I'm not subtle. He teamed up with a villain, also from. I mean, like we had Prometheus and Afterthought in Midnighter. Um, yep. My mythic illusions are not subtle in the DC universe <laughs> all the time. Uh, but you know, I realize that again. If 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 Prometheus hated Batman, he would hate Midnighter even more. Uh, you know, because he is the victim of. He's, he's the victim of police violence. Uh, and of course, you know, his parents were. Due to the beauty of stories, we can remove ambiguity in, in uh, Prometheus's narrative, at least at that time with established origin. origin and his parents did essentially commit death by cop. But the reality is that things are much more ambiguous uh, in the real world. So yeah, why wouldn't a character like that hate Midnighter who kills, for all intents and purposes, indiscriminately? You know, the authority on whether or not he thinks someone is, is a good guy or a bad guy is him. Literally, because again, if someone else, I mean, Superman could come down and be like, don't kill that guy. And he'd be like, one second, gotta kill that guy. <laughs> so so I, I mentioned the Mazer, but
2: there's a ton of obscure DC characters in your work, which as a guy who's read most of the DC comics of the past 30 years, I'm all about. Uh, was there a favorite weird DC character that you never were able to write during your tenure that you'd still love to get in there?
1: Well, I mean, the entire Justice Society, but I I, ended, I now did that in the uh, Crisis one shot because the gimmick of that is what if Earth 2 uh, survived instead of Earth 1. So we end up basically playing out the End of Crisis and Last Days of the Justice Society and The Aftermath, but because it's the Justice League that goes into Valhalla instead of, excuse me, Asgard, uh, instead of the Justice Society, they get slaughtered. Surtur comes to earth and it's this big blockbuster, Surtur versus the the, the Justice Society book. So I got to do that. Um, I mean, Wesley Dodd's Sandman was on that list and I wanna do more with him because I only got, I mean, the, it's a cast of thousands basically in that book. so uh, I wanted to do more. Um, and I wanted to, I mean, the joke answer is Prince Rahman, who has been my, my, like, I put him in one panel of, uh, of Midnighter. And like, I actually had the email from editor. He, I had originally like a sequence of a variety of villains and a variety of heroes. And he was like, you can only have one montage of obscure characters and what you care about. And so I picked the heroes so that I could put Rahman in there. Uh, but I have always loved him, but I guess I did get to write him for a panel, so that doesn't count. So in that case, let's say it's not super obscure, but I've always wanted to do uh, more of the Wildstorm characters, specifically Lady Tron, who I love and never got to work with. Hmm. Uh,
2: So two of your last projects at DC from your, exclusive were two of my favorite books of the past couple of years uh Martian Manhunter and Gotham City Monsters
1: oh Um, those are very different books yes (laughs) uh
2: we'll start with one um what is it Jean is one of my like five top five DC characters of all time what drew what draws you to Martian Manhunter
1: well, I mean, to me, it is, I mean, look, we just talked about how there's no, there, we're, we're lacking in empathy in the real world. Uh, and so to me, this idea that John is one of the most, this sort of like super empath and he, and he has such caring for his adopted world. It's always been much more powerful to me uh, because he doesn't even look like, you know, he's not, he's not like Superman, like there's no, I mean, he's a shapeshifter, but he chooses to not look like us and say, yeah, I'm still here and I'm still one of you and I still care about you. So that, that nobility has always been very powerful to me. Uh, and it, by the same token, you know, everybody like says say he's the heart and soul in the Justice League. Well, how, you know, just imagine that playing out. Think of all the things that Superman, Wonder Woman and everyone on the Justice League has been through and they know no matter what they've been through, this guy gets it. And the question of, well, what, what was this guy's journey? You know, that's where the book came from in many ways. Like, how can we give him a journey that is is such a climb to triumph where everybody else knows, like, he will understand. I can have the worst superhero day possible, but John will understand. Uh, And and so it's that status and nobility and stoicism that he's always had and the fact that he's the shoulder that effectively gods will come to rest their head on. uh, It's always been very impressive to me. And uh,
2: now, speaking of Gotham City Monsters, uh, that book, it it caught me off guard because I did not realize that it was this sort of spiritual semi sequel to Seven Soldiers going in. And you
1: clearly are a Morrison fan, as you have made clear. Yeah, uh, I should have actually answered Bulleteer when you asked me what character I didn't get to write. So. <laughs> ah, well, there we go.
2: So <laughs> you keep going and it, it comes. Uh, what what was it like to re- to follow in the footsteps of one of Morrison's most fascinating esoteric series?
1: I mean, it was great. I mean, I, I had a great time in that book, both creating new characters like the Red Phantom, uh, but the sell to me, honestly, start and finish. Uh, Jamie Rich and April Ghost called me, the editors in that book, and they were like, you need to do, you know, we're doing this book with with Morrison's Frankenstein and we can't think of anyone to be better than you to do it. And obviously like, I don't know if readers know, but for whatever reason, like artistically, creatively, almost everybody loves that take on Frankenstein. So we all want to do it. And he, and getting to work with him was one of the most, you know, fun things I did at DC. I love writing him. He's the biggest sad boy on the planet. Uh, to <laughs> the point we, I mean, like, you know, other people are running the joke, like, oh, Frank just making things morose again, you know, like, <laughs> uh, just like my Milton professor in college. But, um, you know, I liked, I loved that, and and also the team on that. Uh, Amake was amazing, getting work with an icon, like Trish Mulville, also amazing. And editorially, like, I knew we just had to tell this big monster blockbuster. So it wasn't just about bringing the team around to seven, finally, though I laughed, because full disclosure, it was originally six, and then about two issues in, they were like, what if we brought a bat character? And I was like, well, you know, that does bring it to seven. Um, but also, like, I mean, there's the sevens, uh, excuse me, uh, the Gotham Monsters versus the Monster League of Evil is definitely on a list of things that I never thought that I could do. Like, because those characters are just the Universal Monsters. Uh, but technically, they're not. And, like, we cleared it with <laughs> League and they were like, you're in. So, like it was just an open palette to do like this big fun monster up, And yeah, like why not have Frankenstein from DC fight Frankenstein from well, not from the movies wink, but like, why not go all the way and sometimes you don't get that chance, but we did. Uh, and, and the response to that book was really surprising. It was a hell of a thing to do uh, to thread together like seven soldiers stuff, Perpetua stuff, City of Bane stuff, uh, but, you know, to to the to the statements of my, uh, the book's readers, we did the job and I, and I was very, very happy with it. So and we got okay. Lady Clayface, which, again, brings me yeah. back to my trading card days.
2: Yeah. You, so you were you had Frankenstein sort of handed to you. Did you get to pick the rest of them or were you kind of given these are the, the Gotham City monsters?
1: I think the only thing is that there, there was a suggestion of using Killer Croc, but otherwise I think it was, I mean, you gotta cut me some slack here. This is like two and a half years ago, but I, but I mean, obviously Red Phantom was all new. Um, and uh, they wanted a team of cool monster characters and my narrative inside DC is that I'm the guy that knows about obscure cool lore characters. So most of it did come from me. I do think there was a suggestion that we should use Croc and why would I ever not use Croc? Like I'm a big fan. Uh, and Frankenstein, and um, Frankenstein, got me in the door, but yeah, I know that I, I know that like someone like Orca, that I mean, it was just great. It was great to have a lot of those characters show up however they haven't showed up in a long time. I don't know if uh, Lady Clayface had showed up really, you know, in years, and so it was nice to get her back. Uh, it was nice to get a lot of those characters back and and push them forward a little bit. And I, you know, anytime I can create a new Gotham character, maybe maybe no one will ever use Red Phantom again until I come back for DC, but. I love that little notion like it seemed like a very Gotham City thing like this one building where no like no crime had commi- been committed in 100 years and it's that classic if you want to bring it around to Commanders in crisis he's all powerful in this one fucking building and then otherwise he he's, he's nothing you know
2: as someone who works in the the theater professionally a theater ghost just made me happy
1: Well, my, you know, he's named after actually one of my great, my great uncles who was in vaudeville. So there's there's also like a personal touch there. But I just love again, like I loved a big book that no one really talks about and should get a like a big absolute collection is the Ostrander and Mandrake Spectre series. And what I loved about that is I took a character who's like the most OP character in the DC universe and they set rules on it and created 60 plus issues of drama out of a character that most folks on the creative side thought you couldn't have drama with because you can just do anything. But they set up those rules where, you know, if you go into Spectre's cloak, then you're fucked. And he can basically do anything to you. But if he goes into your eyes, well, it's more of uh if he goes into your soul, it's more of an even playing field and you can get hurt. And that was really the inspiration for Red Phantom in a lot of ways. You know, if you actually do get in uh, to the theater, then he can basically have his way with you as you saw with Melmoth. Um, but, you know, there's this huge hindrance of otherwise. He's like a ghost that emanates out of a brick or something like that. You know, there's not, there's not much else he can do. So, um, I was really happy with how that came out. And yeah, we got to hit on a lot of lore. I mean, the Tomb of Gotham, I used that in Batman and the Shadow as well. Uh, I, that's my favorite Gotham location that I don't think many other people use, but uh, I will live there and we'll return to it uh, in the future. <laughs> but I've always liked that little, I think that's a Bill Willingham creation, but I don't know for sure. I think it was from Shadow Pack. I think you're, yeah, that, that sounds. Did he create a character named Dr. Gotham back in the day? Yep, yep.
0: So I'm gonna throw this one out there. Uh, is, is, that, is that Marvel Darkhold book still happening?
1: Uh, I mean, you guys know as much as me. We'd love to mm-hmm. do it. Uh, it's largely, you know, talk to COVID nineteen, unfortunately. Um, mm-hmm. But we'd like, we'd love to do it. I mean, it's I, I wrote the first issue. It is it, it you know I it would have been my first Marvel work, so I'm not going to say I don't have a vested interest in it coming out. But I don't have any news, unfortunately. Uh, you know, I'm sure most of that stuff is getting rescheduled. In general, that's not like a, oh like I'm breaking news here, but I just saw today that they rescheduled the final Ta-Nehisi Coates issues of Black Panther yeah love mm-hmm. to stuff back on the schedule. We would love to we'd love to continue it. I talk to Key and Tormi all the time uh, he's on Injustice year zero right now, crushing it mm-hmm. uh, but we'd love to be back. I mean, for my first marvel story to feature Scarlet Witch and dr doom wild uh, and it's a and, and, and it was a super fun story to write, so. We hope, uh, but again, like right now, I think a lot of it is depending on the world. And much like mm-hmm. when I get invited to cons next year, it's like, yeah, I would like to, but I can't, you know, we, we just can't make that call right now. We got to know, uh, nobody really knows yet We're thinking what things are going to look like in six months. But I hope, because that, mm-hmm. that, 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 that was a really fun story.
0: Yeah, no, I, I saw they, they announced, I think it was like last week, Emerald City and C2E2 for like December
1: of next year. And I'm like, fingers crossed. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Let's go to Seattle in December. A very warm climate, uh, even <laughs> by me, who lives in Boston. I can't, I mean, I shouldn't say, I mean, I'm joking, but Seattle's home to some of my best friends from high school, actually, weirdly, and one of the top five restaurants I've ever eaten at in my life. So I would gladly go back. Uh, and Chicago is also on that list. So, But again, like they picked the coldest fucking cons uh, to put in December. So thank you, world. Hi to be fair
0: they're usually happening in february and march so <laughs>
1: no. i always thought wasn't cdwe do like a like a late spring con i've only, i haven't been in a couple of years but anyway i mean like I, I love both those cities so i mean i look i want them to be back uh but it's got to be safe not just for me no. it's got to be safe for everyone attending absolutely uh, my signature shaking hands with me is not worth dying for just ask my boyfriend
0: so <laughs> oh man uh so as we're we're kind of winding down here, uh, what what are you reading right now?
1: Um, well, I as I I will be reading a couple things. Uh, as I said, I've just been on crunch, uh, so I haven't done really anything except work on this book that isn't announced yet since uh, November first, and work ahead. So I would have time since October first, but I will be reading again soon. Um, I have Blue and Green by Ram V uh, and. Uh, can't remember the rest of the art team, which makes me an asshole. Uh, it's
0: Anand a RK is the artist. Uh,
1: so I got blue and green there. I've actually already read it in PDF uh, because Ram is a good friend, but I did buy the hard copy because I'm, oh, I'm that type of person that really doesn't get things unless I read them in hard copy as anything other than like plot skimming. Uh, but what else is out there? A reread of uh, Felipe Smith and Trad Moore's Ghost Rider. Cause I love that book and mm. I just love the art in it. And also the surprising thing to me, cause I just, just getting around to it is I bought a collection of Cam Kennedy's uh, Boba Fett stuff and Cam is a <laughs> monster. That stuff is gorgeous. Cause, and I didn't even realize he'd done something else. I bought the dark empire, like massive collection. Uh, and I saw it and saw that there's 300 pages and I was like, ha, ha, for another day. But the Boba Fett one is like 160 pages and, cause I'm okay, so perhaps it makes me seem million, but I, I hate when I don't finish anything for a while. So I would rather, uh, for my leisure reading, read 250 page books and a 300 page book. Um, cause you get twice as much endorphins from finishing it. <laughs>
0: uh,
1: but that, I mean, for folks watching, whatever, like that Boba Fett uh, and all of the Star Wars work by Cam Kennedy is so, so gorgeous. Uh, it's so it's so beautiful. The coloring is beautiful. Uh, I mean, uh, it's great, great stuff. And I'm excited to go back into the Dark Empire series uh, because I I loved it as a kid. I'm sure it's still pretty fun, uh, and I know the Cam's art is going to be gorgeous.
0: Well, uh, Steve, it's it, it, it's been an hour. It's been great. Uh, how can people uh, follow you, keep up with your work?
1: Uh, I'm uh, I'm on Twitter at the Steve Orlando. I'm on Instagram at the Steve Orlando. Uh, Those are the best ways. I'm technically on Facebook, but I try to sort of keep that uh, for people I know from the before times, um, (laughs) just for my sanity. I will. I will say I don't do Facebook Messenger. I know, like there. So for folks like I will answer DMs on Twitter and Instagram all day, but if you do message me on Facebook, I just got to draw the line again somewhere. There's plenty of other ways to reach me. Uh, But yeah, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, and I'm sure I'll be pushed onto another platform soon. But right now, those are my two main ones. If you want more comics, go to Twitter. If you want more me ranting about food and exercise, then uh, and some comics, you can go to Instagram. That's, That's my Venn diagram.
0: All right, Steve, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: It's my pleasure to be here. I would gladly come back.
0: That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, wmq and and WMQ Comics are now part of the Xavier Files Media Empire, meaning you can find all our great comics coverage, along with some of the best X-Men and Marvel criticism around, at XavierFiles.com. You can listen to wmq a on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at XavierFiles.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support wmq a at patreon.com slash WMQ comics, where just a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shout outs on the podcast and a customized bonus reading column written by Matt Lasowitz built around the character creator or theme of your choice. And a $2 donation gets you a free random comic in the mail for my collection. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the young ones at match club podcasts, Robert Secundus from docs talks at XavierFiles.com, Carla Pacheco from Marvel's spider woman series and Lan M from lands vids. You can follow WMQ Comics and Xavier Files on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote and Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013. And until next week, in the immortal words of Abraham Lincoln, be excellent to each other.
2: WMQA